Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. This morning, I want to ask if you would to take God's word and open it with me to Matthew chapter 16 for this morning's message. Matthew chapter 16 for our time together here today. As we begin our time together this morning, I want to start with really a simple question. Maybe it's a question that you can relate to in a personal way, and that is this question. Have you ever found it difficult to stay focused on a task? Have you ever struggled staying focused, not just on a task, but on something that you knew was absolutely important and yet you still struggled to keep focus where it needed to be? This morning as we look to God's word from Matthew chapter 16, I wanna preach to you on the subject, a failure of focus, a failure of focus. We began last week a new sermon series entitled Failing Forward. And what we're doing is we're looking at God's word at a very specific illustration and example in the life of Simon Peter. The truth be told this morning is that throughout the history of the world and certainly throughout the context of the Bible, there's only one perfect person who has ever lived and that perfect person is named Jesus. And so that means every single one of us have failed. We have fallen short. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned against him. In fact, that also means that every other person named in the Bible, guess what? We're in good company, also failed along the way. It doesn't matter how good you are, how skilled you are, how experienced you are, how smart you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter any of those things. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all failed along the way. Even in the context of sports, You can have the best team, the most experienced team, the most talented team, and yet you can still lose. We all experience failure along the way in life. But even in the midst of failure, what I want us to see in this series is this. We can fail forward, but we don't fail forward by our self-will. We don't fail forward by us pulling up our bootstraps and getting to work. We don't fail forward because we just try harder next time. No, we fail forward when we recognize our need for Jesus and humble ourselves before him. Because when we fail in those moments, if we will look to the Lord, humble ourselves before him, get into a right relationship with him, it is then that God in his grace and his mercy, he can draw us close and he can strengthen us and further us and even use what was a failure to strengthen us and to grow us. Now, we're looking at the example of Simon Peter. Simon Peter was, no doubt, one of the most influential people of the entire Bible. This is one of Jesus's, like, inner three, if you will, of of Peter, James, and John. Peter was one of the early apostles there in the church. Peter was the one who was so strong that on one occasion, he carried a net all by himself of 153 fish. This is a strong, masculine man. He's one who would give instructions to other disciples. He's one who would speak up when everybody else would want to be silent. He's one that would rush into the fire when everyone else was running away. He is a strong, powerful leader. He's the one who on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two would preach and 3,000 souls would be saved. He's the one who wrote two different books in the Bible. I mean, an incredible leader, an influencer. And yet even Simon Peter failed. 
Truth be told, if you want to examine Simon Peter's life in a critical way, to be honest with you, in the Bible, you can actually find more of his failures than you do his successes and victories. But I believe there's much that God wants to teach us from this illustration and example of Simon Peter. And so my hope for us today is this. For anyone who's failed, there's a message of hope and encouragement. For anyone who's ever lost focus, even on the most important things of life, there's a message of hope and encouragement. To those who feel stuck like they can't move forward, they've just blown it so bad that God can never forgive, there's a message of encouragement, hope, and life in this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 16, a failure of focus. I wanna ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Listen to what the Bible says here in this passage. We're gonna begin in verse 13 and read all the way down to verse 28. The Bible says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or even one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, oh, you are the Christ. That is, you are the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the savior that we've been looking for, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, that means hell, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. When he warned, then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Now listen to verse 21. Now, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, be raised up on the third day. Listen to this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here with you who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and for this time together. Would you speak to our hearts and lives right now? Help us today to be focused on you. May it be a fixed focus that never shifts or changes. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you may be seated. A failure of focus. There are many things here in this pastor scripture that we discover today, but one of the key things that we discover is this. It is often difficult to stay focused on the right things. It's often difficult in our life to stay focused on the right things. I was reminded of that just yesterday in a very vivid way. I was blessed over Christmas to receive a very generous gift from my wife. 
Over the course of last summer when we traveled out west, we got to stop at a lot of different uh, places to eat. And one of the things that I learned along the way is that I love smoked meat. Can I get a witness, anybody like that? I mean, you could smoke just about any meat and I think it's good, okay? And so I've been talking about it and I've been looking. And so my wife very graciously and generously blessed me for Christmas with a smoker, a pellet smoker, which requires pellets in order for the thing to smoke the meat. And so I have been smoking, I'm an expert now, I've been smoking meat all for about seven days. Some of you are laughing that the pastor just confessed on, uh, on the internet that I was smoking. But yes, I'm smoking meat, okay? And so over the past week, I've been smoking just about every meat that you can imagine when I've been at my house. And so I know that everybody and their brother says that the most difficult meat to smoke is a brisket, but I figured, hey, I've smoked things now for about four times, I can figure this out. And so over the course of this past week, I figured it out. I looked and I got the right recipe and I figured exactly what kind of seasonings I wanted. And I literally wrote down step by step everything I needed to know and do. Yesterday morning, the day finally arrived. I had already prepared the brisket. It had been marinating for over 24 hours. I got up early. I got the smoker going. I got it to the right temperature. I put the meat there and I was like, man, this is gonna be awesome. I was already thinking about how excited I was for dinner last night. Mid-morning, my daughters and I, we decided we needed to run some errands. And uh, so that meant my boys were still at home. My wife is out of town this weekend on a trip with her sister and her mother. And so the boys were there. I wasn't concerned about it. We ran some errands, took a little longer than we thought it would be. We got home to find something terribly wrong. The smoker wasn't running. The temperature wasn't what it was supposed to be. Why? Because genius forgot to add pellets before he left the house. All right? The seasoning was great. The recipe was perfect. Everything looked good, but guess what I forgot? Besides the meat, I forgot the main thing. So often in our life, we know what should be and who should be the main thing, but we get so caught up in studying everything else, we get so caught up in all the distractions that we miss what is most important. What is most important? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, it's not a what, it's a who. Jesus should be most important. He is the Lord of glory. He is the Lord of eternity. He is the one who is the key to abundant and eternal life. It's all found in Jesus, and yet so often we complicate that and we miss that. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through two, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Here's how. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It at times might be easy to put our focus on Jesus, but the Bible says we're not only to put our focus on Jesus, we're to keep our focus on Jesus. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what the world is saying around you, no matter what the temptation is in the moment, we're to fix our eyes, keep on focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot continue living for the Lord and moving forward in faith if we are not continually focused on him. And it's there in that context that the Bible points us today to Matthew chapter 16. We began this morning reading verses 13 through 20, and we're not gonna unpack them in great detail, but they begin with really an incredible moment in the life of Simon Peter. Jesus, of course, has been with them. They have heard his teaching. 
They have seen his miracles. They have heard his statements about who he is. And so Jesus then looks at the disciples and he says, and asks the question, who do men say that I am? And they begin to answer what the popular opinions of the day are. Well, some say that you're like Elijah. Uh, Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah who's come back to life in this moment. Of course, Jesus isn't so concerned about what all the world says. It's a personal thing. But who do you say that I am? A lot of times we get so caught up in the opinion of man and what the world's saying in any given moment. But Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and here's what he says. You are the Christ. Jesus, I believe that you are the savior. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one that we've been looking for. You're the one who've come to rescue and redeem us. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, Simon Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven revealed this to you. And I say to you that you are truly Peter. The name Peter, key statement, means stone. I say to you that you are truly Peter, a stone, because... It is upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. We need to understand that loud and clear. But Peter was gonna be a key stone, a key part in the foundation of the church. What an incredible moment. Peter has publicly confessed his faith in Jesus and Jesus has blessed him for doing so. And he's guaranteed him, you're gonna be a significant part in the establishment of the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. But it's interesting to me How quickly Simon Peter went from this incredible moment of faith to a great moment of failure. The truth be told, in each of our lives, we each can go so quickly from a moment of great victory to a moment of great defeat. A writer of old said it this way, you are never more vulnerable to the enemy's attacks than when you are on the heels of great victory. Simon Peter experienced that firsthand. Let me share with you four things about Failing forward, even when our failure is a failure of focus. Number one, I want you to see a common problem. A common problem. I don't know about you, but I believe that a common problem that we all have as human beings is this. We often think we know best. Maybe you're looking at me a little strange. I know, Pastor, you just think you know. No, no, We often think that we know best and we generally know what is right in any given situation. After all, we've got common sense. After all, we've got our experiences. After all, we got a bunch of friends speaking words of wisdom into our life. After all, social media has lots of opinions about what we should do and social media is never wrong. We often think that we know what is best. But I'm reminded loud and clear of the old illustration that Mark Twain used to say. Mark Twain once said that when he was 14 years old, he could not believe how ignorant his father was. But by the age of 21, Mark Twain would also say he could not believe suddenly how wise his father had become in just seven short years. You know what Mark Twain was saying? He was saying, listen, when I was a teenager, I thought I knew it all. I thought I knew what was best. I thought I had all of life figured out. And then just seven years later, after I grew a little bit, I suddenly realized, you know what? I didn't know everything and my dad had a lot more wisdom than I gave him credit for. The point of the matter is there are times in our life that we think we know best. We think we know the best of situations, but I'm gonna remind us loud and clear today, there are lots of times people might think they know everything. There are times that the God, all things. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 through 15, reminds us about the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Listen to what the Bible says. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him? 
With whom did he, God, consult? And who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? For behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. In other words, the implication of this question is this. No one gave God understanding. No one gave God knowledge. No one gave God wisdom because he is omniscient. He knows all things. He is infinitely wise. He has all understanding. He understands and knows things that you and I cannot ever even grasp. The reality is our common problem often gets us in a great deal of trouble. And we see that with Simon Peter who assumed that he knew what was best. I want you to see three things about this common problem. First, I want you to see a selfish disapproval. A selfish disapproval. Now Jesus, in these verses of scripture, verses 21 through 22, begins to tell the disciples something. He begins to explain to them that he must go to Jerusalem we're at the hands of the scribes and the chief priests, the religious leaders of the day, he would suffer and he would die. Now, prior to this moment, Jesus had already told the disciples that he was going to die. But ultimately, I don't know that they were really hearing that message. In fact, as they're hearing his teaching, they're kind of amazed at how he's astounding the scholars. As they're watching his miracles, as he's raising the, uh, giving sight to the blind and giving uh, ability to walk to those who are lame, as he's raising the dead to life, as he's feeding the hungry, as he's delivering those that were in captive, captivity, as Jesus is doing these things, as long as those things are happening, they're all on board. Everything is good. But suddenly Jesus says, now, by the way, guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem where the religious leaders are going to crucify me and I will die. And instantly, there's resistance. Instantly, there is hesitation. It's too much of a thought for them to accept. Who, who could even imagine it? Why would anyone try to kill this kind and compassionate, merciful man? And after all, isn't he the Messiah? I mean, isn't the Messiah, according to the Old Testament, going to come and rescue the people to deliver them from their bondage? Isn't he going to set up a kingdom and isn't he going to rule in great power and in great glory? And how can he do that if he's dead? It's just too profound of a thought, if you will, that they began to disapprove of it. We see that in the context of what Peter does in response. Look with me in verse 22. Jesus tells him what's gonna happen. In verse 22, Peter begins and says this. But Peter took him aside and began to what? Rebuke him. Now pause for just a moment. This word rebuke in this pastor scripture is telling us something of great significance. It's telling us that not only did Peter not accept it, he completely disapproved of it. So much so that he thought he had the right to speak down to Jesus. Listen to this. In the Gospel of Mark, when the Bible tells us several times that Jesus rebuked the demons, Matthew uses the same exact word to describe Peter's words and treatment of Jesus in this moment. I'm kind of looking at this moment thinking, Peter, who, who gave you the right to rebuke Jesus? I mean, you get the picture here of a man who's just absolutely disgusted. Absolutely not, Jesus. This should not happen. Leads us to the second thing. Second thing I want you to see is a selfish denial. It's not only a disapproval, it is now an absolute denial. Listen to what the Bible says. Peter began to rebuke him saying, key statement, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. 
So strong was Peter's disapproval that he immediately said, God forbid it, Lord. The irony of this statement is profound in so many different ways. For example, who is Jesus? He's God in flesh. What was Jesus doing here on this earth? He was doing everything that God the Father led him to do. In fact, Jesus' own testimony in John chapter five, verses 19 to 20 is this. Listen to these words. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something that he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. The father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. In other words, Jesus is God in flesh. Everything he's doing on this earth, he's doing at the direct will and purpose of God the Father. So here in this moment, when Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem where I will suffer and die, immediately Peter steps in, he begins to rebuke him, and here he is denying him and saying, absolutely not. No, 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 no. God forbid it, Lord. Think of that for just a moment. Peter is calling him Lord while at the same time correcting him. The word Lord literally means to be a master or to be ruler. But I want to remind us loud and clear this morning, if Jesus is Lord, then we must trust him and submit to his authority. But when we resist him as Lord, we begin to perceive that our way is best. And as a result, we make ourselves the Lord of our life. When Peter says, God forbid it, he's basically saying, I will not have it. Jesus, I don't accept it. Jesus, I don't like it. God forbid it. Lord. Question I'd like to ask Peter if I ever had the chance would be this, Peter, when did God die and put you on his throne instead? Right? Maybe that's a question for us. God, I don't like this situation. God, I can't believe you allowed this to happen. God, I'm hurt and I don't like, I don't like the direction this is going, but I want to remind us, God is God and we are not. His ways are best. His plans are perfect. We must submit instead to him. God didn't have to ask Peter for his approval because he is God and his will and his ways are perfect and God doesn't have to ask us for approval either. The reality is, is that it's amazing to me how quickly Simon Peter went from confessing his faith in Christ to now the very next moment thinking like an unbelieving man. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, Peter was thinking like a man, for most men want to escape suffering and death. He did not have God's mind in the matter. Which led to a third thing of that common problem, and that is this, we see his selfish desire. That selfish desire is found in this little statement, this shall never happen to you. Now to be clear, most scholars will say to us that it was Peter's love for Jesus that refused to accept this path. It was Peter's desire for Jesus to be with him and to, to continue to guide and direct these disciples and to equip them and to pour into them. People will say that it was his love for Jesus that caused him to feel this way. But I wanna remind us today in this moment, while it is understandable that Peter would not want to be separated from Jesus, even in this, Peter's desire was selfish. Even in this moment, as he looks to Jesus, he understands these disciples have left everything to follow him. Their entire life, their entire future, their entire hopes were all wrapped up in who Jesus was. Surely we understand why he wouldn't want to be separated from Jesus. But even in this, he was focused on his will, not the will of the Father. He was focused on what was best for him, not what was best for the world. 
Truth be told, if you look further at this passage of scripture, I think the Bible kind of gives a hint, though, that there might have been some questions about Peter's desire. After all, it would be in response to this very statement that Jesus would look at all the disciples and he would say to them loud and clear, well, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world or loses his own soul? No doubt they looked at Jesus as the Messiah who had come to rule and to reign, to deliver his people. They looked at the Messiah who had come to establish his own kingdom and they knew this meant that he is the Lord of that kingdom. They would be a part of this kingdom. They would rule and reign with him. Maybe there's a question there about really what was Peter's true desire. They sensed to have an understanding about the glory that was due Jesus, but they didn't recognize that glory comes through suffering. Truth be told, maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been in a moment where it seems like everything is coming against you, where things are going a path that you didn't expect. Things are coming in a place where they're hurtful and they're coming in a place where you just don't fully understand it. And maybe you're looking at God and saying, God forbid it, I don't like it. This is not what I'm wanting. This is not what I'm looking for. I want to remind us in that moment, God's will and God's ways are always best. He always knows and he sees the things that we don't. This morning, I was reminded of that as I was making my way here to the worship center. I was driving this morning, arriving here a few minutes late and coming down the interstate. My family and I live north of town, so I'm coming up 81 and I'm getting close to my exit and I'm driving maybe a little faster than I should. I pass a diesel truck and then after I pass them, I get back over in the right lane and as soon as I get in the right lane going about 70 miles an hour, I look in front of me and I see two deer. And then out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something else moving. And right behind where the new high school is being built, there were three more deer right behind them coming down the hill. So I hit the brakes and I began to slow down and pretty quickly got to less than 30 miles an hour. The diesel truck behind me saw all of this happening. He slows down. And as we're now driving about 30 miles an hour on the interstate, out of nowhere comes a Jeep in the left lane. In fact, I saw him swerve from behind the diesel and then he's in the left lane. And when he went by me, he was sitting on the horn. He was as mad as a hornet. And I was like, well, God bless you too, you know? He was, I'm, why? Because in his mind, it didn't make sense. What are these nuts doing? There's nobody on the interstate and they're driving 30 miles an hour. What's going on? But the reality is this. He was so mad, so bent out of shape and so frustrated because he didn't see the danger that was there just moments ago. Truth be told, so often in our life, we're hawking the horn, we're mad out of shape. God, why? What's going on? And the reality is, we don't see the danger. We don't see the issue, but we've got to trust that God sees and knows all things. Brings us to a second point, and that is this. Not only do we see this common problem, but God then brings us to a convicting picture a convicting picture in this pastor's scripture. I want to remind us loud and clear what's taking place in this moment. Peter is resisting the will of God. He's resisting the word of God because frankly, he only sees things from his limited selfish perspective. And it's then in that moment that Jesus begins to bring a word of confrontation, a word that will convict But in that conviction, a word that will restore and draw him back and give him an opportunity that even though he failed, there's grace and there's mercy and an opportunity to go forward with him. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 23. But he turned, Jesus did, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Now, I'm calling this a convicting picture because I want you to understand what's happening in this text. Mark chapter eight, the parallel passage, gives a little more indication about it because the Bible says in verse 33, but turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Now, picture the scene for just a moment. Peter has addressed the, I mean, Jesus has addressed the disciples. He's told them he's gonna go to Jerusalem, he's gonna suffer and he's gonna die. Peter pulls Jesus away where he begins to rebuke him. Lord, you can't do this. This shouldn't happen. And when this happens, the Bible says Jesus turns, which means Jesus turns back to the disciples. Guess who's behind him? What's his name? Peter, Simon Peter. And it's then that Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me. I want you to notice a few things. First, I want you to notice what the Lord confronted. It may seem strange to us today that Jesus would say of Simon Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Maybe we'd say, man, I can't believe he did this. This is like name calling or something. This is horrible, but we need to understand the context of this. The name Satan literally means adversary, our opponent, if you will, enemy, if you will. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that we only have one adversary. It says it this way, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Ephesians chapter 6 also clarifies that our adversary is not flesh and blood, but Satan and his, his, his forces, if you will. Listen to what the Bible says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, all throughout the New Testament, the apostles understood our battle, our conflict is not against one another. It's not against flesh and blood. Well, you don't know what my neighbor did to me. You don't know what so-and-so said to me. No, no. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against Satan. He is our adversary. However, Satan often seeks to accomplish his ways through the works and words of people. When Jesus heard Simon Peter say, God forbid it, Lord, you should never die. You should never go to the cross. You should never suffer. Jesus immediately recognized the source of that thinking and the source of those words. Where did Peter get those thoughts? Where did Peter get those selfish demands? Where did Peter get that word that was so contradictory to the direct will of God? He got it from one source. He got it from Satan. It's there in that moment that Jesus speaks up loud and clear. And he says, listen, I know you're saying this, Peter, but what you're saying is a direct contradiction to the will of my father. It's a direct contradiction for the very purpose and mission for which I have come into this world. Please understand, from the very beginning, Satan had done everything he could to try to destroy Jesus and to hinder him from giving his life on the cross. Why? Because it would be there at the cross that you and I can find eternal life. It will be there at the cross that you and I can have our sins covered. It'd be there at the cross where we can be set free. It'd be there at the cross that we can be made washed clean, white as snow. From the very beginning, Satan had done everything that he could to prevent Jesus from ultimately getting to that cross. That's why Herod, when Jesus was just a baby, issued the decree that all the male children under two would be slaughtered. Why? Because he's trying to get rid of him. Why? Because it was a tool of Satan to prevent him from getting to the cross. 
That's why in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus is tempting Satan, he says, oh Jesus, go ahead and throw yourself down off the sledge. The angels are gonna come and catch you. He's trying to prevent Jesus from getting to the cross. The reality is, is what the Lord confronted is this. Jesus knew that the source of that stinking thinking, the source of those words was Satan. Not only did he confront the source, he confronted Peter. After all, Peter was the one who uttered those words. Here's what he said. Peter, you're a stumbling block to me. Now, now, now remember the name Peter means stone. When Peter confessed faith in Jesus, this glorious moment, he says, thou art Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But now that Peter's uttering words and messages that are completely opposed to the will of God, he says, you're still a stone, but you're a stumbling block to me. Your will is a hindrance to the will of God. I want you to see secondly, not only what he confronted, but what the Lord clarified. Maybe you're sitting there like me and you're wondering, my goodness, how could he go so quickly from such a moment of faith to a moment of failure? How could he go from speaking words of faith in Christ to now speaking the message of the enemy? And Jesus tells us loud and clear, verse 23, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Can we just pause for a moment and just acknowledge here that God is giving us a means by which we should examine every decision we make. That decision you're making in your marriage, that decision you're making in that moment of temptation, that decision that you're making in your business, that decision that you're making with that extended family member that's causing all kinds of issues, that decision that you're making in your neighborhood, here's the question. Is your mind on God's interest or man's interest? Is this for God's glory or for your glory? Is this for the name of Jesus or for your own fame? What are you doing? See, what the Lord clarified in this moment is the reason he got to such a difficult place and the reason he failed so quickly is because of this. He was focused on his own desires, his own interests, his own will, his own feelings, his own passions, and not on the interests and will of God. Where do we find the will of God? Where do we find the mind of God? We find it in one place. We find it in the word of God. Warren Wiersbe says that, answers that question. Where do we find the mind of God? It is in the word of God. Until Peter was filled with the spirit, he had a tendency to argue with God's word. Peter had enough faith to confess Jesus as the son of God, but he did not have the faith to believe that it was right for Jesus to suffer and to die. So how do we get the mind of God? We get in God's word. And we let God's word get in us. According to Romans chapter two, it is only then that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. As we fix our mind on God's word in Colossians chapter two, we literally set our mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. God had to deal with this, didn't he? It's a convicting picture. And maybe you can get it a little bit because frankly, God's convicting you right now. I want you to tell you the third thing in this passage of scripture. I want you to see the clear priority. 
See, in this moment, Jesus has really confronted the source of this thinking and this message, and he's confronted Peter. Peter, your mind's on yourself. It's not on me, and it's not on the will of the Father. But it's there in that moment that Jesus offers, really it's a word of invitation. But in this invitation, there is incredible opportunity. There are some who will only hear these words and hear the incredible cost. But I want you to see in these words the invitation that God is offering for us to be restored to him, for us to be in right relationship with him, for us to walk forward with him. Because Simon Peter next hears words of invitation. Notice what he says. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, could y'all say the word anyone? He did not say, so if anyone but Simon Peter. Peter's included in this. He didn't say, if anyone, but Thomas who's gonna doubt me in a few days. He didn't say, if anyone, but Judas, that betrayer. Serves him right to be not included in this invitation. No, no, no. The invitation was open for all. Can I just say to us this morning, everything that we're about to read about the promise and even the cost of discipleship, it is his invitation to all. Pastor, you don't know where I've been. If anyone, well, you don't know what I've done. If anyone, well, you don't know what's been done to me. If anyone comes after me, here's what he says. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three things I want you to see about this clear priority. Number one, you wanna really follow Jesus? You must deny yourself. You must deny yourself. The word deny in the Greek literally means to turn oneself off, to disown oneself. Please understand, this goes completely against the culture in which we live. Our world says, you are your own boss, do your own thing, do what makes you happy. If it feels good, do it. After all, you're living for yourself. But Jesus shows us the key to abundant life is in knowing him. And this step that he calls us to in this priority is to deny ourselves. The picture is literally is we're looking to the Lord, his will, his glory, not our own. Secondly, in case you thought that sounded a little severe, there's another step. You must also die to self. You must deny yourself and take up your cross. Now in our day, we look at the cross as a, as a beautiful thing. We see it as a piece of jewelry. We see it painted and we see it displayed in ornate ways. Maybe you have a cross on the wall somewhere in your house and it's there as a picturesque ornate thing. But I wanna remind you today that in Jesus's day, the cross was a symbol of great suffering and pain. Frankly, the cross is a symbol of shame and rejection. The only people who bore the cross were the lowest of the lows. They were the worst of the worst. That's why in Philippians chapter two, the Bible tells us that when Jesus came to die, he came to die even death on a cross. He was bearing shame, not his, but ours. He was rejected for our sake. He was experiencing that great suffering for your sake and for mine. The reason that we can celebrate the cross in a beautiful way today is because of what he did on that cross of suffering and shame 2,000 years ago. 
Please understand when Jesus says, listen, take up your cross and follow me. He's literally calling us to die to self. He's calling us to recognize that we're to willingly give our life for his glory and for his honor. That ultimately our life is to be lived not only for him, but through him. Galatians chapter two, verse 20, the apostle Paul says it this way. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Apostle Paul is saying loud and clear, it's not about me, it's not about my name, it's not about my fame, it's not about my glory, it's not about my fortune, it's not about my experience, it's not about my degree. I am nothing without the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only reason I stand before you today and the only reason I write today and the only reason that I preach today and the only reason I do anything today is because the resurrected Jesus Christ is living in me and he's living through me and he's accomplishing his purposes in my life. I've been crucified with Christ. This clear priority is a call to deny ourselves. It's a call to die to self. But finally, it's a call to devote ourselves completely to the Lord. This simple statement, take up your cross and follow me, it literally means that we're handing it over. The word devote means to hand over. It's like the idea that we're handing over the reins of our life to the Lord to say, Lord, not about me anymore. My life belongs to you. My life belongs to you. Every single one of these verbs, deny, take up, and follow, in the Greek show continual action, which reminds us it is an ongoing daily process, fixing our eyes on Jesus, ongoing daily process, denying myself, taking up my cross daily, and following Jesus daily. Clear priority. Let me ask you a question this morning. In your life, really, are you following Jesus? Or are you pursuing your own will? Are you pursuing the will of those around you, the opinions of man? In your life, has your faith growing or have you found it growing cold and stagnant and stale? In your life, are you really denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus? Last thing I want you to see in Matthew chapter 16 is this. I want you to see a comforting promise. Maybe you're here this morning and you hear that priority and all you hear is the exorbitant cost. Deny yourself Take up your cross and follow Jesus. But I also want to remind you about the incredible promise that comes to all who are willing to heed that call. Notice what he says in verse 25. Whoever wishes to save his life, I'm going to live for myself. I got this figured out. I can do this myself. Will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Mark's account in Mark chapter eight also says, and for the gospel, guess what'll happen? You will find it. What Peter failed to recognize is that the path to glory was through suffering. What so many of us fail to recognize today is that the path 
to abundant and eternal life is not in living for self. Isn't it amazing that we will listen to the temptations and the ideologies of the world, hey, live for yourself, it'll make you happy. And yet in the world, you also find the most miserable people ever. Could it be that the world has it all wrong and that Jesus' words are true? But he, he, verse 25, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The key to abundant and eternal life is found in looking to Jesus, laying down our lives for him, and living through his presence in our life. Peter had an incredible moment. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But no sooner did he did that, he resisted the will of God and Jesus had to rebuke him. But I find such great encouragement that when Jesus offered that abundant life, he said, if anyone comes after me. I can only imagine in my mind Simon Peter hearing that and saying, Lord, even me? Even me? Even though I rebuked you? Even though I dismissed your will? Even though I was selfish? Even me? And Jesus saying, (laughs) Simon Peter, even you. Come after me. I want to encourage you today. I don't know where your failures have been, but I do know this. There's grace and there's mercy and there's an invitation from the Lord Jesus Christ to come after him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and mercy in our life. Lord, I... uh, My goodness, Lord, I I feel like I relate to Simon Peter more than I wish I could. Father, so often when I think I have known what is best or better, gone my own path, or when you've allowed things or done things that I didn't agree with, maybe I didn't say it quite the same way he did, but I know I sure have felt it. God, I pray that today would be a day in each of our lives that we surrender to you a day in our life where we trust you you gave that invitation if anyone comes after you let us deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow you and that context is it's a daily thing that it's a continual surrender of our lives to you a continual choice to recognize Jesus your lordship in our life So Father, I pray right now that today would be a time of restoration in our relationship with you. May it be a day today where we trust you and where we get our focus fixed back on you. I pray in Jesus' name. Have your way right now. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.